Shut up and sit down. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another edition of the Limited Upside Podcast. My name is Mike Prada. I am the editor for SBNation.com for MBA, and I'm trying this hosting thing out because we're starting off the first of several of what we call an off-season series, taking deep dives with the members of our SB Nation communities on specific teams. And we decided to start with a special one for my co-host, Ben Epstein, the Philadelphia 76ers. So joining us today, uh, we've got SBNation.com writer at large. That's that's your right title, T- Tyler Tynes. Something like that. Something like that. Mm-hmm. A lifelong Philly fan like Ben. And we also, we also have Jake Pavorsky, the managing editor for SB Nation's Sixers site, Liberty Ballers. Jake, how you doing? Not too bad. We got the number one pick in the draft. We got the number one podcast coming up. I mean, it's, it's perfect. Can't complain. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. For the record, we are starting this with the worst team in the league and going down. But Watch your mouth. Yeah, you mean, you mean from last season, right, Mike? Not the projections for next season, right? Uh, well, we'll see about that. Yeah, but okay. uh, yeah, Mike, <laughs> whatever you want to say. <laughs> uh, whatever you want to say. Uh, but... I uh, figured we'd start this off. Let's talk a little bit first about like what the Sixers have done this offseason. Uh, and obviously the most noteworthy thing that they have done is draft Ben Simmons. And we'll talk more about Simmons a little bit later. Some of the other things they did, they uh, also drafted Timothy Luwawu with the 24th pick in the draft. And Furkan Korkmaz with the 26th pick. Uh, and then in free agency, they signed Jared Bayless, uh, three years, $27 million. They signed Gerald Henderson to two years, $18.5 million. I believe the second year is a partial guarantee. They finally, I guess not finally, it's been two years. They bring over Dario Sarge, their 2014 draft pick. They signed Sergio Rodriguez, uh, one year, $8 million. Uh, they tried to sign Jamal Crawford and they did not. They acted as leverage to the seventy six or the for the Clippers. Uh, they still have about what twenty four million left to spend. And of course, the big thing that is worth talking about with them that we'll get to later is that they still have to trade a big guy, as Brian Colangelo said. But I guess we'll start with you, Jake. Uh, looking through some of the non Simmons stuff, like what is your take on some of these moves? Signing Jared Bayless, getting Gerald Henderson. Uh, Sergio Rodriguez bringing Sarch over. Like, how much will these players make an impact next year? Well, obviously, I'm very excited that they brought Sarch over, and him being a man of his word, he said at the 2014 draft he was going to be here in two years. He came over in two years. I'm glad the Colangelo's wanted him here. But honestly, the names that they signed in free agency didn't really matter to me, and they don't matter to me now. It's just the philosophy they went into free agency with, and what the, what they came out with. I was terrified that they were going to go out. Brian Colangelo was going to swing his checkbook around and sign Harrison Barnes and just throw big contracts at guys that I thought didn't really deserve it. And you look at this class and the way that the cap went up, there's just so much mediocre talent 
just just making a ton of money. And I thought this would have been like the perfect trap for the Clangers to fall into. You inherit a new team that's trying to win now. They're trying to increase the win total pretty drastically over the next season. And then he was going to come in and try and, and show his worth and his power by spending a ton of money this offseason. And I would say he was he was pretty frugal. I mean, he was signing guys to short-term deals. Sergio Rodriguez was a pretty outside-the-box signing on a one-year deal. I think he's a pretty good veteran backup who can shoot the ball. He can run the pick-and-roll uh, pick with Philadelphia's plethora of big men. Jared Bayless is, is a pretty good complement to Ben Simmons. You, if you have him running the point, he can play point a little bit. He can play off-ball. He was a great three-point shooter last year. Shoot 42%, I think. His career average is like 37%. That third year, year on the deal is a little bit whatever to me, but all these deals are, are short and sweet, and Henderson's a local guy who can fill in like a veteran role now, and that second year is actually non-guaranteed, apparently. So that oh. makes that deal look even better. Uh, so the way they handled it and, and signing guys to short-term deals without killing their long-term flexibility, allowing them to go out and get a max guy when the time is right and they have the right pieces together, I think was perfect. They really killed this offseason. Man, you know, I, I got to agree with that, honestly. Like, the, the offseason was dope as hell. But at the same time, you trying to tell me you, you're pairing Baby Bron, Ben Simmons with uh, the shooter himself, Jared Bayless, 30-point a game in Arizona. <laughs> I see Jared Bayless. You know how excited I am for backdoor cut, two-hand, tomahawk, dunk, Jared Bayless, alley-oops? You out of your mind. Plus, you're bringing back Gerald Henderson, who was like a god out here in high school basketball in the Philadelphia area. So, Super excited to watch Jared Bayless bring the ball up the court and give it to Ben Simmons and then run some like four or five pick and roll with, I don't know, whoever you pick in the front court to just do whatever the hell we're going to do and win these 35 games this season. So, I mean, listen, I'm really excited about this season only for the fact that like when I was an intern at the Philadelphia Inquirer, I first met Sam Hinkie and he had this beautiful glint in his eyes about what he was going to do for our beloved city. And lo and behold, three years later, we're on the track to a championship. So, okay. I mean, <laughs> all right. They, uh, let me remind you that the Sixers won 10 games last year, but I love the optimism. This is why we do this stuff. Uh, and like any direction then is on your way to a championship. I have to agree. I mean, exactly. sure. 11 games next year, 11 wins on your way, 12 wins on your way. So as long as we don't, you know, set that record with nine, which I don't think is going to happen. So, so that in 63 years, you'll get to the Warriors yeah. record. Okay, that makes sense. 74 win 2016 Philadelphia Sixers team. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, Ben, I wanted to ask you, you know, the what with, Tyler mentioned sort of the, the hinky legacy. The one guy that is directly tied to Hinky that neither of you talked about right away is Dario Sarge. And he's finally coming over. I think a lot of people thought it would be three years because he would be off the rookie scale, but he said two years. And after sort of a little bit of, did he, is he coming or is he not? He's coming over. Uh, what are you looking forward to seeing with Dario Sarge this year? I mean, I guess right now the face value of it is I want to see how he plays against NBA players in a full game. We know what he can do on like international level. He's been pretty solid, and we'll get a nice glimpse in the Olympics. But that's even in its own right, uh, like going against all-star teams or, or teams in uh, international capacities that haven't even played together as much. So it's a little sloppier, a little more open. I am excited to see kind of how he flows. I always say there's more space in the NBA than there is in any other type of basketball. And you see guys like Simmons and Sarge, they kind of rise. Guys who can see the court, get their own rebound, and then exploit those creases that open by being more athletic, by being a little longer, or being the ones who are initiating the play themselves in a Westbrook sense, but even bigger. So what I'm really interested to see most, more than anything is can he space the court? Obviously, it's going to be really important that Sarge's three-point game is a little bit above average here, given that most of these guys, uh, Henderson's a pretty decent three-point shooter when he's open, and Bellis shot well last year, like Jake said. I do think it's interesting, too, though, that 
you know, Bayless and, and Henderson, just to go for a second, they're not like old guys. They're not like in their mid-30s. Bayless is like, maybe he might look like he's 35, but he's 27, you know, and like Henderson in his own right, um, you know, Tal, you mentioned high school legend. I got to play against him twice in high school. He was really good. Ellington, I thought, was better in high school because he was a dude who could pull up from half court and his teammates, it wasn't even fair. But, uh, you know, nonetheless, both those guys are in their like late 20s ish. So I think they're, they're kind of the right pieces to have experience as veterans who can still contribute as like, I wasn't that far removed from being a rookie myself. I'm not like a 38 year old, 37 year old Elton Brand who's just there to like play like police in the locker room, if you will. Um, so I, I think I'm excited for Sarge to see what he can do uh, from an off ball perspective because I think, man, I think there will be so many open looks. I want to hear what all three of you guys think. But I think there's going to be that open space and open time where NBA players just shoot a better percentage because Simmons is going to create those chances. Even if Summer League is Summer League, he still showed a great capacity for getting non-NBA players wide-open looks. So I wonder what you guys think about that. Baby Braun. Yeah, let, let's talk about Ben Simmons because I suspect that I am the lowest on him of the four here. I'm not saying that he's not going to be a really good player. He, could, he, may, he has no chance of being a superstar. I'm just saying I've got some questions about some things in his game. His shooting... Uh, I think it's weird that he doesn't finish with his left hand. I don't know what kind of defender he is. I feel like players will just kind of play off him, and he doesn't have the otherworldly athleticism. But I suspect that I am in the minority here. So I guess we'll start with with Tyler. Why am I wrong? Uh, I mean, do you want, like, all the reasons today why you're wrong or, like, all the reasons for, like, the last week why you're wrong? Like, I mean, we've got got some good wrongness to go off of, right? We have plenty of time. I mean, have you not seen these you know, advertised agent videos from preseason. Come on, son. He's out here pulling up from 40 feet. Ben Simmons is young, light-skinned Jesus himself in the flesh. <laughs> but, like, on, on some real stuff, like, I really don't care if Ben Simmons can hit, like, a 28-foot jump shot. I really don't care if Ben Simmons can really hit a 20-foot jump shot. I mean, he'll be consistent enough within the regular season that he will show flashes of what he can do. He's a 19-year-old. So I'm not going to be extremely critical of a 19-year-old, whether he's on my team or whether he's on a different team. I wasn't extremely critical of uh, Andrew Wiggins when he came out of Kansas. So the thing is that we kind of get into this 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 mindset of critically analyzing every single player off of every single summer league dribble, every single college dribble that they possibly have because we're in this new internet age of watching basketball. And that's fine. The difference, however, is that we in Philly now. So Ben Simmons going to drop a mixtape with Deion Waiters and we just going to have the best team of all time and went about, you know. 31 games. So it's Oh, wow. That, that's already four fewer than you said earlier, for the record. Uh, 39 games now. So oh, okay. Go four more. I would do naked backflips on Broad Street if we got 35 wins next year. <laughs> like, that's how we, like, I, you don't understand how, like, craved we are and, like, starved for wins. Like, I will take anything over, like, 25 that would make me happy. But I think the important thing with Simmons is, obviously, his jump shot right now is not important. It's going to be important over the next two or three years, just based around the guys that are on this team, the way the front court looks right now and the way the guards are shaped up is that eventually you're going to need him to start making jumpers because if you haven't beat in the paint or you got Noel or if you end up keeping Okafor or guys like that, they're going to command the paint and, and Simmons is going to be able to need to step back so teams aren't just playing off him. And I think what he's going to do during his rookie year is that obviously – He's going to facilitate the offense, and I think if he's locked in on defense, like he, he looked like he was during summer league, I thought he played really solid defense all week. Uh, then he's going to be he's six ten Rondo right now, essentially at, at age nineteen. Obviously, he's not may not be that consistent every night, 
but he does all the same things. He's going to find the open pass before the lane is even there, and, and then he's going to bring the ball out in transition, and he's going to play some solid defense and get some steals and, and get some rebounds. And I think he's just – there's just an exciting next-level talent with him. And you look at the guys on this team is that there are so many multifaceted players on this roster. And if you can get him to start shooting and it clears things open for other guys, then I, I think you have a, a superstar right there for sure. Yeah, is, doesn't he remind you guys? I mean, you all played basketball, I'm sure, in some some capacities growing up. Like, there was always a kid at every level who was just like slightly faster, stronger, more uh, intuitive, whatever it may be, uh, and they stood out. And I feel like that has been at every level. I mean, again, Tal, you made a good point about watching so many highlights. When you stare at something's beautiful, you can find an imperfection. And I think that that's kind of what we've done, at least been analyzing a just-turned-20-year-old's jump shot, which absolutely has the mechanical components to be good someday. He's not going up there uh, and firing DeAndre Jordan left-handed shots. I think there is the capacity for that touch to be there. Um, but I will say this. He has that air about him. He, he's that kid who's better than you and knows it and sees the court so well that he's going to throw some passes off your, you know, your face, off your chest. But the difference is, I, and I, I truly believe this with the Sixers team, I think they're going to have a lot of good receivers, guys who are going to be interested in dunking very easily around the basket. And that does, that is predicated in some capacity of him being able to take guys away from the hoop. And I think that Mike is being a little pessimistic here because he sees like a Michael Carter Williams who's six foot ten and not necessarily what we are envisioning. Mike, am I wrong well, about well, that? Well, he's going to be better than Michael Carter Williams. No, I'm saying like, like no, no question. That, that, ain't, that ain't saying much, though. No, like, <laughs> he's going to be better than Michael Carter Williams. I think my concern is not actually necessarily. Like, it's a given that he can't. He's a bad shooter right now. And also, I think the jumper is pretty broken. Like, I think that's got to really be. It's a release point, though. I think it's a really. Well, think there's a, a whole question. Point. Like, is he even shooting with the right hand? Like, that's sort of a kind of a big question to me. Yeah. And and that's sort of to me that's like a you talk about imperfections like that's a pretty glaring imperfection. Now he has some things he is incredible at, and yeah. I think that's that's definitely worth noting. I just I, to me it's not just if everything else was like all ducks were lined up in a row perfectly and it was just the jumper, I would it would feel differently. But I just I worry about like why isn't he finishing with his left hand around the basket? Why is he sort of jump stopping and awkwardly pivoting? Right. Why where's where's his defensive you know intensity at this ledge? Now he's only nineteen. He could be great, of course. I'm just saying I see some I don't want to call them red flags. What sort of like uh like pink flags? <laughs> would you isn't there something going on? Orange flags. Yeah, yeah. He, he's in the middle color-wise there of the flag. But I'll say this, like, I think when you are someone who plays point guard, is the one getting the rebound, you know, he averaged in the close to 30, 15, and, and 12 or whatever in that range or eight assists, something like that in high school. And, and when you're the guy who gets the rebound and goes to the other end and you know no one's blocking your shot, even at the highest, you know, Monteverde, top AU, you name it, he's still the biggest dude on the court. If, the, if there's another top AU center, he's probably around six foot ten, six eleven, whatever. So the point is, like, he probably got away with it so long that it became an excessive habit or obsessive habit, which is just going around the hoop and doing whatever he feels comfortable with, not necessarily what's the best way to approach that. Right. Plenty of great players didn't have the right English on either hand. He just doesn't use it, which is so weird around the hoop for a guy who's taking his left-handed free throws and left-handed jump shots to not even want to use. And we talked about this last podcast. Guys, he shoots overhand with his left, but he can only shoot underhand with his right. That's such a weird thing. Listen, I really don't give a damn about how Ben Simmons shoots. I know this is a dude who scored almost 20 points a game, uh, 12 rebounds a game, five assists a game with goddamn Antonio Blakeney, Josh Gray, Aaron Epps, and Craig Victor and Tim Porterman on his team. Like, 
I, I really don't care about what Ben Simmons shoots like. I feel like that's so minute in, in the grand scheme of how great Ben Simmons is going to be and, and how he's just going to be a generational talent when we look at the NBA. It's going to be a real funny conversation three years from now when Ben Simmons is out here scoring 27 a game. But, I mean, at the same time, we have to think about the fact that it does not matter what Ben Simmons shoots like. We analyze every single college prospect that's a number one talent or even to number five talent every single year. It's, it's within this new age field that we do when it comes to like basketball reporting and, and, and basketball journalism. And it's fine. We can do that. The difference, however, is that you have to take a difference in how you look at certain players when they are generational talents. I don't think we've seen anything like Ben Simmons. Just if, if you want to just put it like as simplistically as his court vision, we have not seen anything like that in a long, long time. So just let the kid be great. Let him go play in Philly and let him make a mixtape with Meek Mill. And, you know, we'll figure this out from there. Well, I, I think he, he can be great, but the jumper is important just with the, the structure of the team. And I mean, you bring up him scoring in college, and I agree. I mean, he was a prolific scorer, but the thing is, he's playing against bigger bodies, playing against better athletes at the next level. And he's, you could already see in summer league that he's struggling with in, these bigger players going up against him and trying to score in the paint, where he's, he's coming in with his left and then he's choking around and trying to score over them with his right. And he just doesn't have the feel for that. And I think he might have to get on that Tristan Thompson plan where he ends up changing his shooting hand because it, it's just so awkward. There's no one else who does. I think in college, Kevin O'Connor did that crazy article where he shot 75% of his shots with his right hand, I think, in the paint. Mm-hmm. And, and he's got to find – he's either got to use his left more consistently or he's got to just make the move to just using his right hand. And I think – in general, he can still be an impactful player. Like, I think this year he's just going to live at the free throw line. Like, he's just going to go draw contact and try and score his points there. He can still be an effective player without the jumper. Just doing what he's doing now, I, there's absolutely a role for that in the NBA. Does that make him a generational talent? No, that probably makes him a really good Boris Diaw. But he's going to need to find that scoring touch to, to become that player. And I, I think it will come over time. And obviously, we're, we're judging this off of a couple summer league games where he's playing next to like Brandon Paul and Roscoe Allen and Alex Caruso. And Brandon like Paul's in for the long haul. Brandon, Brandon Paul's part of the squad Brandon now. Paul's terrible. I've seen enough of Brandon Paul. I don't <laughs> want to talk about him again. He can go. But like, you were surrounded him with decent shooters and he, it's going to come with time, but he's going to need, he needs to find the confidence in that jumper and he just needs to just let it fly this year. Like, this is all about like, taking your time this year and like learning where you're comfortable, like what your strengths are in that mid-range game. Because, again, they're a 30-win, 35-win team at max. He can afford to take those jumpers. This is what these seasons are for. Take all the jumpers. <laughs> it should be noted, of course, that 6'10 Rondo is a pretty damn good player, yeah. too. Like, I, I'm not saying he's going to be terrible. I'm just, I, I think Jake is right that uh, the shooting matters in context. And let's talk a little bit about that context uh, because this is the first. Now we know that Simmons is sort of the franchise player, despite all these draft picks they have. You know, the team should be built around Ben Simmons. And one of the things that you were saying, Jake, of course, is that there is a spacing crunch because they have a lot of big guys. You know, they have Nerlens Noel. They have Jaleel Okafor. They've got Saric. And, you know, now – and obviously they have Joel Embiid. And we'll see what kind of player he is. So – because of that, Brian Colangelo has kind of openly admitted that, yeah, we're probably going to have to trade one of those big guys, which is sort of a kind of an amazing thing for a GM to say, except for the fact that we all know they have to trade one of those guys and they need more backcourt help. So I guess let's start with Jake with this question. Uh, what Now that Simmons is the guy, what do you do with Okafor, Noel, and Bede, and what are you targeting 
and a kind of a fit to kind of work with Simmons as kind of strengths and weaknesses. I've always been obviously Embiid. If he's healthy, he is that the cornerstone of that franchise. No matter how good Simmons, I think you know Embiid is that generational. He is a legitimate generational talent with scoring prowess that I have never seen from anyone that large of, of a human being. But I think that Nerlens Noel has a defined role on this team, no matter what. And I think Okafor's. Okafor is, and I'm trying to be gentle with this after watching him on one season with on, with really no talent. But he, I was looking at, at teams they could possibly trade him to. I can't think of a single team he fits well with in this league. Like his game <laughs> is just so like, like he is so like, he he's like a 1980s big man who's just got to hog the ball and and score a ton in the low post. But he's fat, sort of, and he's, he doesn't play good defense, and he doesn't pass the ball at this level. He does nothing right that just fits into today's NBA game. And especially on this team, where you need to sort of kick out the guys, you need to surround him with, like, shooters and stuff like that. And they, don't really, they haven't really found that fit yet. I just can't see him just fitting well here and going forward, too. And they, they experimented with him playing the five last year because he can't go out and defend for us. So you're, you're messing around with Nerlens having him defending the perimeter when his, his best game is obviously uh, protecting the rim and blocking shots there. And then that didn't work out because Okafor can't even get off the ground. Like he can't, <laughs> he can't uh, change shots. So it's, and I think you look at trades, the only team that sort of makes sense is Boston. And I think the only reason they make sense is because they have the ones that have been rumored with him the entire time. But, Philly has, has really just backed themselves into a corner with the situation. I mean, other than Brian Colangelo straight up saying, we've got to trade one of them. I, I think we, we've known that for a while. And I don't know who that falls on eventually. If it, if it the, you know, them getting nothing from one of those guys falls on Hakey, if it's ownership, whoever forced that pick. I mean, it doesn't really matter. But at the same time, you're going to get pennies on the dollars for those guys. Like, I think if you trade them to Boston, you're getting back Marcus Smart and like Terry Rozier. Like, I really don't know what else. Are I, you I even would... getting back Marcus Smart? Like, I'm not yeah. sure yeah, I'd make that I, yes. trade. Oh, God, yeah, yes. man. Come on, I don't know if Boston is making that trade. I, I'm not sure that they would trade Marcus Smart. Okafor for Smart, straight up. You don't think they'd do that? No, I, I, I'm not sure I would. Tyler, would you? I mean, the thing is that within this, we get into a level of hypothetical. So, like, yeah. within basketball media, we play this game so, so, so much, and it sucks when it's your team. You play this game that, like, I have sources, you have sources, I've got a rumor, you've got a rumor, and it's all kind of bullshit, right? I, so got, like, no, I got no sources on this. I am clueless. I don't, I don't even care, honestly. But, like, the thing is, like... You need, we, we kind of just stop getting into this in this habit of like somebody has sources. Let's figure out what's going on until it actually just happens. You know, the Colangels have openly said, "Yes, we have a log jam in the front court. We need to figure something out." Okay, cool. As of right now, I'm cool keeping all three because I don't know what Joel Embiid is going to be 52 games from now. Yep. I don't. I don't have a clue what Joel Embiid is going to be. Fifteen names now. I mean, I know what tape I've seen. I know what practices I've seen. I know what Joel looks like. I know what the expectation is. However, I don't know what he actually will be. And for a fan base that has been given Andrew Bynum as their last big man, who was like consistently hurt, I don't want to take that risk. If you're like, I guess, an older Sixers fan in Philadelphia, who's like, I'm kind of tired of seeing this. So it's like. You don't want to put too many chips into Joel Embiid just yet. You want to see Joel Embiid play about 50 games. On some, I'm 34-year-old I'm Dwayne Wade wave. 
I want to see Joel Embiid at least play those 40, 50 games and then make a decision with him next year. But as of right now, yes, you still do have that logjam between Ben Simmons, Nerlens Noel, Dario Saric, and, you know, and, um, and Jalil Okafor. I'm yeah, sure but- you can figure out talent with talent. But you don't get rid of talent for nothing. And if you're getting Joel Okafor for Marcus Smart, I mean, at that point, with Ben Simmons basically running the point in the half court through four and five, three and five pick and roll, I'll take that and kick outs to Jared Bayless and Nick Stauskas in, you know, the peanut gallery over Marcus Smart, who really can't shoot that well. So yeah. let's, let's keep the talent while we have it and then swing it when we can get it. And who knows? Maybe next year we'll get uh, young North Carolina god himself, Dennis Smith Jr., who's ducking over dudes who are seven foot three. So <laughs> I mean, you know, I think you nailed on that. You nailed it, though, which is if his value is so low now because the market's been mostly defined, there isn't necessarily the right trade partner. And we don't know on top of that what Embiid's actual capabilities. If Embiid's 10 minutes a game, it'd be better to have all three. If he's 25 minutes a game and he plays, you know, 65, 70 games, whatever they're going to allow for him to play if he if he is fully healthy this year, that's a different story. But I think you have to see it first. I think it would probably kill my father if the first game of the year after having traded Okafor that Embiid's foot goes out. Like, that would just be like icing on the shit cake that we've been eating for years here. But I will say this, guys. If he does cut some weight, if he is able to improve his agility, uh, quick, uh, fast-twitch muscles, stuff like that, which you can absolutely improve, and you see leaps and bounds year-over-year growth from like 19 to 25 years old and 25 to 30 in strength in the NBA and really in all sports. But then when you're a guy like Okafor, who you know, he, his doughy body build is something he can 100% improve on. So when you look at that, maybe he comes out, maybe they don't trade him, maybe his value actually goes up. And then still, what is he? He's a 21-year-old with who's got actual body build on him now who's playing defense and maybe he learns how to see the court a little better out of a double team i'm just trying to give the positive side of okafor because i think i think we as a as a whole the nba world but definitely sixers fans including probably all three of us and then mike from afar here are probably up more hard on okafor than we should be he's a talented kid he's just really awkward for this nba that's developed around him the same way that a guy like draymond green in the early 80s they'd be like well he's not a power forward he's not a small forward so i'm not sure he's gonna fit um but you know men i've been drafted uh, in the second round may have just slipped through you know there were like 10 rounds back there five rounds back then but he still would have been drafted and the i, idea mean, I love like, everything about jaleel okafor so i'm never all right, him. All right love cool. every single yeah. thing about him Nice, man. It's like, interesting in, in the context yeah. of, of the Sixers and the rebuild and just the way this team is, has been built with not a ton of talent. Is when you look at Michael Carter-Williams, who obviously I, I'm not a, I, I don't really care about him at this point, but you look at his <laughs> numbers back in 2013 or whatever, and you talk about the kind of talent he was, and people were always like, and, and this team in general, when they had some sort of talent, whether it was him or it was Evan Turner when he was there at the beginning, it was always, oh, these are guys who are putting up big numbers on a bad team. Like, obviously, they're going to get their shots up. And you look at Julio Okafor taking a ton of shots, horrible efficiency numbers on a terrible team, and all of a sudden, is it's this kid averages 18 and 9 at 19 years old on a terrible team. It just, there's the double standard there, but, you, and we talk about the way this league worked. Jaleel is going to have to change his entire game. He really just has to completely remold his game to be effective. He's going to have to be a, a pick-and-roll threat where he's diving to the rim and taking contact and scoring, or he's got to be a pick-and-pop guy where he can get off jumpers real quick, and he's shown he can do none of that. Like he does, That's not his game at all. His game is you feed him in the post, he, he dribbles for 10 seconds, and he turns <laughs> and he takes these awful jumpers. He is, he's a terrible fit with everyone on this team. His game just does not fit with – I mean, it doesn't fit in the league in general, and it definitely doesn't fit – 
with, with the, the the way the roster is built and the guys they have on this team. And it's, I, I mean, we can bring him just and ha- keep him there for depth's sake, but I don't think his value gets any better. And I don't think he, he helps you at all in the long run. And, and you got all these guys competing for playing time there. There's no one you could really showcase if everyone's splitting 15 to 20 minutes there. I, mm-hmm. I just, I mean, and you expect, I, and B's going to come out the gate and he's going to play, whether he plays 15, 20, 25 minutes a night, who knows. But I just, pick, pick a guy, either pick Nerlens or pick Jaleel, and then just get rid of one of them and just make things easier for everybody because playing the charade this entire time and seeing what happens through February does no one any good. I mean, they've been messing with these guys for years now, sort of trying yeah. to see who can do what. It's time that you pick one and move on. Like I'm, I'm sick and tired of, it's, of it's definitely It's not helping Joel Okafor's psyche to consistently be a young guy in trade rumors. That no young guy wants to be a and part of trade rumors. It doesn't help their either. They're all, I mean, they're all sure. being messed up. For sure, it. for sure. Yeah, uh, a couple things to center this. I would say, first of all, that whether Embiid plays a game or not, you still have four young guys for, what, 96 minutes? You know, you still have... I mean, I would argue that just Okafor, Noel, Simmons, Sarge is a bit of a long jam. You know, like, I throw Embiid out of it. Like, I, I, to me, that's a bit of a log jam in this league. The other thing, though, that is worth, I think I want to just discuss is we talked a lot about Okafor's flaws and Okafor's this. One thing that's worth noting is that Okafor just finished the first year of his rookie contract, whereas Noel is eligible for an extension soon. And I don't know, like, if you're Philly, you've got one year where he didn't play because of injury. You had one year that was basically a redshirt year because he was coming back from injury. And then you have last year where he was sort of out of position and really only played well when Okafor was not in the game. And now you have to decide how much money to commit to him. That may, of course, torpedo his trade value, but it may also make it so that that's really the guy, just from a macro kind of perspective, that may be the guy that you'd rather trade, even though fit-wise he may fit better with Simmons. It just may be macro-wise the guy you want to move. Hmm. I mean, you're talking about like contractually macro wise, right? Not like right. Fit, fit with the team macro wise, right? Right. Okay. Right. I mean, like, I, I agree to some extent that I guess the hard part for me to internalize right now is that the more I watch the league's wiry six foot 10 to six eleven guys, like, guys, what what is the, in your eyes, how big is the gap between, and this could be an absolutely rip me to pieces. But Rashad Holmes, if he plays the type of basketball that they want him to play, just be athletic on the court, try to block shots, try to rebound, how much different is that than what Noel is going to be doing for them? It ain't going to be no different at all. I mean, <laughs> right. like, it's going to be no different at all. I think we play yeah. the stereotype of what the league wants, and we do this. Mm. I mean, you, you, you can read so many different uh, uh, forms of communication and text uh, every single decade of what the, quote, league wants, right? And I think we move in the wrong way when we care about what the league wants. We don't, I don't give a damn about what the league wants. I give a damn about what our basketball team wants. I give a damn about how this team works. So as of right now, you still have too many variables on your roster. You don't know how Dario Sarge is going to play in the NBA. You yep. don't know how many games Joel Embiid is going to play in the NBA. Right now, what you do know is that uh, baby Braun, light-skinned Jesus himself, Ben Simmons, is on your roster. You know, Timothy Luwawu is a stud. You also know at the same time that your little Okafor and Nerlens Noel work on your basketball team in some way, shape, or form. So that's it. Like, you have to play in the game of absolutes when, you, when it comes to a basketball franchise. So it's not, okay, here's the hypothetical that the process of our team has been uh, wondering about for the last three years. So 
We'll put in X, X, and X. Yeah, and that's how basketball teams get lost and never win championships, never go to the playoffs. What you need to do, however, is that you need to figure out if you can deal Jalil Okafor. And then to a point within a business uh, standpoint, if you can't, you don't. You play your season. You, you find a lineup. You switch that lineup consistently throughout your season, and you find the thing that wins games. And if there is nothing that wins games at all, well, then you got a problem. But as of right now, the Sixers have a good problem. You have so much damn talent that you can figure out who does and who doesn't work. You can figure out which offense you want to run. You can figure out who's a liability on defense, who you will allow to be a liability on defense, and then figure out how that works from there. And if nothing of those three different subsets or variables work, well, you got to rebuild again. Yeah. And that's probably the thing that we're not going to go to. But we have so much talent between veterans and between front court players and between dudes who we're critically analyzing who aren't even 21 yet. We're at a point <laughs> in the league right now that we care so much about what your first and second season is that you can't even get to a third season to be this 22-year-old that, that maturates into a different game for the league standard. Like yep. Al Jefferson is still a guy who's getting these shots off and playing for Charlotte. It's a playoff team. And yes, he's kind of switched his game a little bit to be great with Kemba Walker, but we're we're judging Jalil Okafor on a scale that he's not even near to be on yet. And I think that's very unfair, but I do get it with the way we're doing the NBA now. Mm. I, I, I want to, real quick point, and then Jake, I want to get your thoughts on that Rashad Holmes, uh, Noel comparison. But tell, I think you made a real interesting point about when you follow league trends, that usually gets you to the middle. That sounds a lot like some guy who used to work for the Sixers and mm. some zigging and zagging analogy. I don't, I, oh, okay. I don't know. We don't have to bring it up. I, I don't want to talk he, about it. He has it. repotted himself already. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You're talking about middling teams. I thought you were going to go Doug Collins, and that, that yeah, well, never spoken of. The most middling of, of all Sixers uh, of the last couple decades were the Doug Collins forty and forty two ish teams. But uh, go, what do you think about that Rashad Holmes Noel thing, Jake? Well, I mean, I think that's that's a, a much more of a severe drop off than than you imagine. A Rashawn mm-hmm. Holmes fouls like crazy. B <laughs> the man doesn't rebound. Orleans is a rebounding machine, and also, mm-hmm. I mean, you you talk about waiting for guys to to get here to sort of fill this team, and you look at what. Nerlens did when he was on the court with Ish. I mean, he just we've been waiting for, for two years to sort of surround him with, with the type of point guard that can really just make him work and, and do what he does best in sort of throwing him lobs and sort of getting him to the rim. And I, I think that, obviously, I mean, I don't know if Simmons is that guy. I don't know if you draft someone next year. But I think what he can bring to the table as a whole, including as a passer, he's a phenomenal passer as well. I think that whole combination of things is, is just way too valuable to sort of it's tough to imagine giving a guy who's just basically a rim protector, you know, $20, $25 million a year. But I think that you see the quality that of the rim protectors in the league and the kind of money that they make, and you see how multifaceted Nerland's game is from a, from a rebounding and an offensive perspective, even when he's not just shooting, when, he, when he's passing the ball and he can throw down lobs, I think he'll... Uh, I, I think he's just super valuable, and, and getting rid of him and saying Rashawn Holmes can fill that role, I think, is, uh, is a little crazy. All right, well, we have, we have covered that angle very extensively. I want to go to some questions. One, the first one is sort of related to this. Uh, this is from Tans522. First of all, by the way, you can ask us questions anytime by emailing me at my name, Mike Prada. It's spelled like the Italian company, at SBNation.com. You can also tweet us at handle limited underscore upside. Anyway, this one's from Will from uh, Will Tanzola, t- Tans522 on Twitter. Let's go real quick for all three. Let's assume that Okafor is the guy to go. Give me a realistic 
kind of trade option and give me like kind of what you would like kind of a pie in the sky scenario each of y'all let's start with ben oh man on the spot real quick all right look if, if boston is the team that we are being rumored to trade with all i'm looking to get and that's Assuming it's Okafor, which is fine, but I would say if it was Okafor or Noel, I just want some piece of the Brooklyn pie. I don't. I know we're not going to get that at this point because they don't seem desperate enough. That's the ideal situation, realistically. Yeah, it's the poo-poo platter of guards they've stored and one of the guys who's playing overseas in, 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 for Boston, unfortunately. Jake, what do you think? I would say would they do Avery Bradley for Jaleel straight <laughs> up because I would do that. Like That would be more than enough to like make me happy. I mean, but I, I think you're looking at like, you're getting Marcus Smart and you're getting R.J. Hunter, who I think is terrible, or you're getting Terry Rozier, who might be solid or something like that. But you're not you're, – like I said, you're getting pennies in the dollar. Anything that you, 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 know, you would have liked to get, you're not going to get. You're not going to get Jalen Brown from them, and you're not going to even sniff that Brooklyn pick. So I, I would pray that Avery Bradley would be enough, and I would maybe throw in a future first just to get him. Because I, I really I think Avery Bradley would be a perfect fit for this team, and he's yeah. super cheap for the next couple of years. So that would be cool by me. Tyler, uh, ideal and realistic. For trades, right? Yes. I mean, realistic, I mean, you know, let's get LeBron James, Chris Paul, and Carmelo <laughs> Anthony on this team, and let's figure this out, you know? Uh, all right. But, uh, I, I, ideal, uh, I mean, this, this, this is kind of like in the realm of ideal and realistic. Let's trade Jaleel for Isaiah Thomas, and let's get it popping. I mean, hmm. I, I don't really know what we're going to trade for. At this point, let's just play some damn basketball. All right, now this is from Brian Kutza. I hope I pronounced that right. Brian underscore Kutza. Speaking of playing basketball, who do you? Let's start with. Uh, let's start with Jake on this. Who do you think will be the top three Sixers minutes getters next year? Uh, Simmons will definitely be up there. I think probably Bayless. Bayless can do a lot of stuff for that team, both playing technically point guard and shooting guard. I think he probably starts. Uh, and third, maybe Covington. I mean, Covington's their one true wing on the roster right now who can like really defend small forwards, actually has enough size to do it. Jared Anderson's probably more of a two than anything else. Darius Sarge is more of a four. So I think in some order, those are the, the three guys with the most minutes. Anyone disagree? Uh, uh, give, me, give me Simmons, Bayless, and, no- and Noel. Let's, let's say they keep Noel by all intents and purposes and uh, – let me get Simmons, Bayless, and Noah. I definitely agree with Jake for the fact that Bayless can kind of swing anywhere between that one and two, given the fact that he's a bomb shooter. Um, <laughs> but, I mean, otherwise, like, you don't really have a point guard outside of a young man. I don't, I'm blanking on his name right now. But Sergio I'm just Rodriguez. Yeah, nah. Sergio. And they just signed Cat Barber. Can we talk about Cat Barber for, like, 25 minutes? <laughs> yeah, a partially guaranteed deal. Did they? I, Next. I love Cat Barber. Yeah, I'm a big Cat Barber fan too. Oh man. Assuming, assuming that he gets to play Duke each game next year, we're going to be fine. Yeah. Um, assuming, assuming he has cornrows for like <laughs> 40 minutes a game, we'll be fine. Wow. We're adding three weeks to the total, right? So they're a 38 win team now with Cat Barber. <laughs> uh, they are oh, a man. 60 win team with Cat yeah, Barber. Right. Right. So right. By the end right. of this podcast, they're going to be like a two seed with a chance at the one, I'm, I'm pretty sure. Right. I'm sorry, were they never that? <laughs> you guys have some serious Stockholm syndrome going on right now, uh, Ben. Do you have any disagreements on the who's going to be the top three minutes guys? I'd say it's it's any combination of the three of those four. I think the uh, Simmons, um, Bellis, and I would probably say Covington. Just for, he's really the only guy who at this point has proven he can shoot threes in the NBA aside from Bellis like, on the roster. But I wouldn't you know, I wouldn't be surprised too if um. I don't know. I like Jeremy Grant a lot. I just don't know where they're going to play him. But I want to see him keep getting he's minutes because I really like Jeremy Grant. No, yeah, I, I think he's. Play. He's not a basketball. He's not an NBA player. You don't think Ooh, so? I I think he has some ability, but this is sort of 
This is sort of the problem, though. This is what I was saying earlier. It's not. It, it's a logjam, even if you remove Embiid, because Grant is a four. Uh, maybe I'll clarify real quick. He's not. Maybe he's an NBA player. He's not a player on the Sixers. He can't shoot threes. That, yeah. that makes him completely useless on this team. Right, right. Also, have- Cap Barber's in my top three now of minutes. <laughs> Yeah, they, they, I don't know, man. I, I, I like Jeremy Grant a lot, only because I guess like it's, it's more like a hypothetical on what I think he can do as opposed to what he actually can do. But I, I also enjoy seeing Jeremy Grant dunk on dudes next. So like on that premise alone, yeah, fuck it. Let's let's get Jeremy Grant on this team. Give him 31 minutes to see him like try to defend people on the wing with a uh, whatever wingspan. Yeah, fuck it. Let's go. That uh that dunk on the Lakers center whose name I cannot pronounce was pretty awesome oh, at Summer League. Uh last question. That's his name. Yes. Uh last question and I I pray please be realistic with this question. <laughs> I suspect he will not, but uh Dylan Dylan DeAngelis asks, uh, his handle is that nerd Dylan. Uh, Dylan, you're a very cool person. Like, don't call yourself a nerd. That's that's a little pejorative. You're very nice. Dylan, you're a nerd. (laughs) Nerd's not derogatory anyhow. That's cool now. All right. Fair enough. Um, What would the absolute ceiling look like for the Sixers this year? Uh, All right. Let's start with Ben. Absolute (laughs) ceiling this year. All right. I'm going to give you an actual realistic number here i think that they are a 30 win team at a ceiling like they play absolute team basketball and no one gets devastatingly injured and breaks my heart yeah and they make the trade that potentially gets them some other person who can play the guard position yeah i think that they could be a 30 win team tyler 74 wins okay all right Jake. you were realistic with that one yeah i'm gonna say th- 35 wins and then maybe simmons finds a scoring knack and, and everything is dandy but i don't, I don't think they even come they go any higher than 35 Okay. Yeah, on some real shit too. Like my, my my guess is around somewhere between thirty four and thirty six games, like the best they can possibly get, given the fact that Simmons scores like I don't know twenty two a game, and they figure out whatever the fuck's going on in the front court. So and that's a fully healthy Joel too. That's yeah, it yeah, is yeah. a fully healthy like fifty two games or so Joel, one hundred percent. And that also that also keeps into account too, like Sarge transitions well and actually makes sense in the NBA, which I think he will. And I think Luwawu, who we didn't talk about at all, I think he's actually pretty pretty uh, an interesting piece too, because if he can get together a three point shot, maybe they maybe they, my win total goes to like thirty four, thirty five range, so close to you guys as well. But there's also the capacity for them to be like a super frustrating but ultimately really talented like twenty win team, and then it's just like a slight baby step up from that. Actually, you know what it is? That's double what they were last I year. Was, I was going to say, you guys are saying the best case scenario is 20 to 25 win improvement, and that is very difficult to do. Yo, Brett Brown, NBA. that's nothing. That's a piece of cake for Brett Brown. It's a walk in the park. We'll see. All right, well, listen, this was a, this was a great time. Does uh, anyone have any final things that we did not hit? Any? I know a certain one of you has a certain player that you'd like to see be signed with this remaining cap space. Tyler, floor is yours, man. Uh, thank you very much, y'all. I would just like to let you know that the Dion Waiters Meek Mill mixtape uh, of 2016 is finna come to y'all houses, uh, direct order in FedEx boxes. <laughs> so I would just get ready for Dream Chasers 4 featuring Dion Waiters, produced by Metro Boomin. Uh, it's going to be a great time, y'all. Real great time. And uh, Dion ain't going to play a whole game this season, but he finna be courtside. So <laughs> just, just, just get ready for Dion Waiters in these 2001 Allen Iverson jerseys. Just stepping over, like, I don't know, like, waitresses in the shit. <laughs> All right. It's well, game time. I am rooting for that now because you have laid out the scenario. Uh, Jake and Ben, any final thoughts? Jake, Jake, go for it, man. Trust the process. No one mentioned it. I had to get that reference in. Get it in there. I'm good now. 
Yo, Jake, you know, at the bottom of all those Liberty Ballers, uh, you know, uh, articles is that, that like process video. That's me. I'm the one who's been like plugged on all your absolutely every single Liberty Ballers, uh, piece of content. I feel kind of foolish about it given how much I read your website, but don't contribute. <laughs> it's all good, man. <laughs> yeah. So, so just to be clear, we are referring to a video that we recorded with Ben acting as in one side, he is the optimistic Sixers fan, and in the other side, he is a pessimistic Sixers fan. You should oh. go check it out. Oh, okay. Yes, now, now we're on the same page here. That was a great yeah. video. Oh, thank you, man. Appreciate that. You know, it's nice when you don't have to act like a fan when you are a fan, and I think uh, that worked out really well for you, Ben. Uh, yeah, so yeah. That it, It's an excellent video. Yeah, uh, yeah, thank you. As Sixers thank fans, you. we're all really good at being happy and depressed at the same time. Exactly. That's just called being a Philadelphia sports fan in general. Like, you're not allowed to have that right amount of happiness without that touch of sadness. It's kind of nice. It's more than a touch. It's like a <laughs> I don't know. To me, this sounds like being a fan of any city's team, but I uh, so. whatever. I, I'll, I'll let it slide. Anyway, listen, thank you guys all for coming on. Uh, thanks to to Ben Epstein, my co-host, to Jake Pavorsky, the managing editor of our fantastic Sixers site, Liberty Ballers. Thanks to Tyler Tynes, our uh, SB Nation writer at large, who covers uh, you know the intersection of sports and culture. Uh, you can follow him at, at Tyler Ricky Tynes. Is that correct? Beautiful as hell. All right. You can follow Jake at Jake Pavorsky, Ben at EpiBen. You can follow me at Mike Prada, P-R-A-D as in Dr. A. SBN. Uh, please continue to check out SBNation.com. Please subscribe to the Limited Upside Podcast and iTunes. Leave us a review, uh, you know, good or bad, um, but definitely, you know, whatever you want to leave, leave it. Uh, follow us on Twitter at Limited Upside. Like I said, we will be doing more of these team check ins. Uh, the current plan is to go in reverse win order, so the Lakers would be next. We're looking to hopefully do that next week. We'll be in touch with uh, our Lakers community about that. And uh, until next time, uh, limited upside podcasts.